0: podcast episode 146 i think is the number i don't know since i <laughs> labeled both episodes last week and the week before as 144 because i'm a dipshit apparently i did get that comment back from somebody that hey you have two 144 you
1: somebody. did when did, you, did you get you say it anything? when
0: did you get it uh over the weekend why didn't you fucking tell me well, it was um i no I, why didn't you tell me don't say <laughs> it was whatever why didn't you say hey the episode's the same number I didn't know if it was just iTunes or something mixing it up. You should still tell tell me so I can fix it. Because when Jess said it to me this morning, I'm like, what? And I looked and it was because I don't go back and look at the feed always. I'm like, fuck, because I would have noticed it tonight when I scheduled this show to go out uh, for for Wednesday. But I I was just working on one things and posting stuff. So when we were at dinner the other night, Mark pointed it out to you. Yeah. That Dude. man. <laughs> he might, you know, what, he might have pointed it out to me. I was like, <laughs> that that night was uh, that night was. There something
2: was a lot else. of stuff going on.
0: So yeah, that night. So so this is uh, anyway. It's episode one forty six. I'll try and remember this that. This is episode
2: one forty four C. Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 um. It. Uh, w- we uh, have a. It's it's going to be a long interview uh, tonight. Uh, we actually just got done talking with Sim Gilbert. but you'll hear that a little bit later in a in an amazing long form. discussion. Discussion about society and law, and some of the his stuff passion. going on at the Hill, and his passions, and curry. Uh, yeah, some, like some curry discussion about curry and Indian <laughs> food. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a it's a great conversation that you guys will get to listen to. Um, I think he's
2: becoming probably my one of my favorite guests for
0: sure. He's so freaking smart, and he's he so well spoken,
2: and just just a nice person, and
0: passionate,
2: and and he's a prosecutor but he sticks up for the little guy which is i think perfect
0: so uh let's talk about this weekend real quick and get it out of the way so this weekend was a bit of a like crazy like shebang heather's birthday was this weekend jeremy's wife mm-hmm. and uh brie planned a uh, a party for her because jeremy's a really shitty husband <laughs> <laughs> so the story goes like this so i i you know Ask Bree, I'm like, how come we never do anything for Heather's birthday? Because like, like we'll I always her a like message. Sometimes we'll
2: go to dinner or
0: and something. And I'm like, hey like, Heather, happy birthday. How come we're not doing anything for your birthday? Well, turns out the reason is this uh Jeremy Heather's like
2: Jeremy's busy working and he never thinks to plan anything Jeremy,
0: outside of work. Yeah, and so it gets close to Heather's birthday and he's like, Oh shit, well let's go, let's go to dinner at Hopper's. What's that? Yeah,
2: Hoppers. She's like, He always end, we always end up at his
0: favorite restaurant, <laughs> Hopper's, <laughs>
2: for my birthday.
0: And, and she's like, But I'm not planning. My birthday So Bree This year took it upon herself To plan a birthday
2: Well I had so much fun Making soap with Jessica Over at Oleo I was like I want to do that again And I needed to think Of a reason And so at Christmas time I said Hey Heather Want to make soap. This is totally this is totally me being selfish. Hey Heather, you want to make soap for your birthday? And she was like, Yeah. So I contacted Jen at Oleo and anybody can do this. Um, I contacted her and I, I gave her a range. I'm like, this is when Heather's birthday is. You know, what do you have available? And she told me This is roughly how many people I want yeah, to bring Yeah, I think I've got and she's like, Yeah, we can we can totally accommodate that. And then the cool thing is is she creates an event on their website. She sends you a link um, and that everybody you can share can go buy their tickets, and everybody basically. goes and buys their spot and so it's 25 bucks i don't know if that changes but um to go and 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 make soap and and they do the whole thing like it's it's not a shortened version they did what they did when um jessica and i did the the public one which is you know they do the whole demonstration and you have all of your stuff and the 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 starter ones, they have it all measured out. And so, you know, you don't have to worry about getting your measurements right or anything. You just get to do the fun stuff, which is basically pick your scent, pick, pick the way you want your soap to look and smell. And, uh, and so we carpooled up there. Heather was kind enough to drive us all and we got there and made soap with Jen and Derek and they were great hosts and we all walked away with a pound of soap and. We got to cut it on Sunday, and from what I heard, everybody was texting, when do we get to cut our soap again? (laughs) I'm like, Sunday, Sunday night. you got to wait for that 48 hours. And so um, now my goal is for everybody to get together and bring one of their little bars of soap so we can all smell and see how the soap turned out. But now the guys are jealous and the guys want to do a soap making
0: class. I'm, I'm not jealous. I've done it. Did it one do a different flavor? <laughs> They're <laughs> not
2: flavors, Jeremy. Stop <laughs> eating your soap.
0: So I, or were they all the same, or did everybody do something different
2: for our soap class? Yeah, everybody did something different. Because when Chris
0: and I, I did ours, it was all it was all the same, same it so, but it was pure soap. Yeah.
2: So I think Jen. I mean. I love Jen and so I think she kind of did a little bit of this for me but she gave Heather a choice of, of the kind of soap she could make and, and Heather picked And but then when we got there she was like well I brought some pigments out too and then people were asking her so many questions that's what was kind of fun with this group of friends is everybody was asking Jen questions and she just thrives in that environment she she knows what she's talking about and so we had um, a little information on, on our skin and how it worked and she talked about the oils and we had um, we learned about saponification and, and they talked about um, the exfoliants that we were using and stuff and so they brought out some exfoliants that we got to put in it and then we were talking about you know pink and stuff and so somebody said something thing about green and so then she brought out what could make our soap green and so we walked away with pink green and purple soaps that's really cool yeah it was awesome
0: suggest so what you do this weekend you didn't make any cakes or anything she yes,
2: did you said you were tired of hearing about it so what? i know
1: of at I least was two cakes. Come on, you, give me a break. <laughs> you do i would never have known that what That a
0: joke no so what? That's I you knew What I did? Yeah. I don't Thank know. I care. I actually don't know what you did because my my Instagram was not full of Jess pictures <laughs> from from trying to kill herself in a flash flood in in a slot canyon. It wasn't a slot canyon, but anyway. <laughs> uh, you know,
2: it was definitely
0: a canyon. You don't ever
2: exaggerate either. <laughs>
0: so you uh, made, did you do anything other than make cakes? I had a soup party with my cousins a soup, Ooh. A soup party did you make bread bowls no what so they're not cool enough for you to make I bread may, bowls. I made I
1: I two did. cakes. I made this weekend.
0: <laughs> I okay, I think you made. I'm pretty sure you made cakes the weekend. You made us chili and and bread bowls. Those bread bowls were so good. I'm glad you liked them. They were very good. I'd like to know how to make them because I don't believe I could do it, but I'd like to try. <laughs> also, that chili was really good. Chicken chili, white chicken chili with beans, white white with black beans. Thanks. I no, I actually right made choice. cupcakes. Cupcakes. Mm, moist, delicious cupcakes. Yeah. No, or, they were
2: dry. With and tasteless yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: with I mean, a surprise in the middle. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Was it a like a toy, like a king cake? No, there was that, was plastic cool. babies that would
1: have been cool. That would have been appropriate. I actually do have little, them because I put bunch them in cakes a little
0: before. Popped off Barbie doll heads. Yeah, Because like, like, you little bite into it. And There's I a face staring at you. That would be awesome. How to be a little Barbie, a little little that would be a like lot po- of Polly Pockets. What if you made a like a cake with troll dolls inside? No,
1: I made a wedding
2: cake this weekend. On a birthday cake. Excellent. I love the little bride and groom on top. They were super cute. The little Batman groom.
0: What? Oh, I did see that picture. I did see that picture. It was surrounded by RSL pictures too, I'm sorry. <laughs> there was a lot of RSL this weekend. Um first home opener we won. Uh, there was a Tifo, which for those of you who don't know is a giant fucking hand painted thing that the fans make and then It's
2: a hand painted thing. It's a hand painted sign. It's like it's like, like thirty a
0: like thirty to sixty bed sheets sewn together. Be. it's humongous If it, it basically took up the entire south end that
2: south section that you sat in it took up that whole section that's pretty
0: cool so it was, uh, it was cool they started a new tradition where they plant a flag at the end of the game if they win uh, the team comes over and plants it in front of the supporter section so that was kind of cool um, but I wanna talk about that thing that Jeremy said. So <laughs> the way the way I the way I view this thing, so Jess just hands me this when she gets here today. And it's a postcard from Alaska. Yeah, Alaska. Uh, and it's from a, our listeners. From it's addressed to us and if you've ever been on our show, um, little behind the curtain, we like to send our guests that are on our show things like Christmas cards and other little goodies on occasion and thank you cards because it's really kind of them to join us. Um and so, Jess, when she does that, sends out you know us at her address because she 's addressing all this stuff that 's the only place her address appears anywhere. Uh, all of our other stuff is is private um, uh, all of our our domain hosting and everything else there 's no address on any of our social media accounts. So we get this postcard from Alaska, and it's postmarked from Juno. So it was totally from Alaska, and it's a little seaplane. It's handwritten. And it's written, I think, by Mr. Bukaki. I'm not sure who (laughs) wrote this. So if if those of you that don't know the Ebola Monkey Man, uh, so just just Google Ebola Monkey Man. Basically, so, you know, there was a guy that got sick of all the Nigerian print scammers uh, via email uh, sending him stuff, and so he started interacting with them and sending messages back and forth. My
1: boss does that all the time.
0: and he's he did this for like years and he's got like pictures of these people and the one that he really kind of got famous for because he had done you know so many with and posted these up and this is this is like 10 15 years ago that this all happened. Um, but he's like, I don't feel comfortable using my name anymore. This is like, you know, um, a year and like six, 60 emails in with this guy. And he's like, I don't feel comfortable using my real name anymore. Uh, you you can call me Mr. Bojangles. I'd like you to make up a name too so you don't get, you know, so nothing happens to you. If you can't think of one, here's a few that I would suggest. And one of them was Mr. Bukaki. And that's the name of the guy <laughs> starts getting called and he's got a picture of him like holding up a sign that says mr Bukaki. like anyway so that's why i said that um but the 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 handwritten note and it is handwritten it is not like a stamp it says hello from alaska one of my goals for 2019 is to save money one one way i've been doing that is by doing my amazon.com Shopping in air quotes for—I guess they're real quotes. They're not. They're real air, quotes on the paper. Air but air you just did air quotes. It <laughs> <not air> <laughs> was post post. <laughs> So in real quotes, shopping for free by using the app Very Dice. Uh, if you want to check it out, use code, and then it gives a code. And I'm not going to give that because I don't want you guys to steal my code. Um, <laughs> that's our code. That is clearly, like, fucking spam in, like, a primitive format. Like the how, next level. It that's is a amazing. handwritten postcard. I do not know how they got that address. So the only thing I can think is Peter went to Alaska and is fucking with us. <laughs> I've been thinking about it, like, the whole time we interviewed Sim. It's totally from Peter, and he's just fucking with us. Peter, thank you for the postcard uh, from Alaska. Either that or he called someone in Alaska and had them write it. I I don't know who's grab Peter's card. Go go grab that. Let's compare handwriting. we will see. It's in purple pen. It could be uh it could be Jess. Maybe she's just fucking with us. I wish her writing isn't Maybe she thing. went to Juneau this weekend, took a flight and
1: Can we see my handwriting?
0: Uh That handwriting's pretty different. Yeah. Peter writes in all caps and has no cursive. This has cursive. Bree? It's like all in cursive. Yeah. Uh, Bree, do you write cursive a lot? Yes, you do. Did you do this? Your handwriting's better than this. It's not Peter. Peter writes in all capital... Plain text Anyway so we got Postcards Thanks spam. whoever sent that But you can send Real postcards It's if still you want. going on the wall It's true It's going on the wall It's, it's a me it's <laughs> I uh, just It was really funny To like I was like Oh cool We got mail And then I started Reading it And, and I was like, like What the fuck <laughs> Like how is this So it is clearly Someone that the only other thing I can think is like someone has our address, like has that address saved because they got something from us, and they got like hacked or something. It's stuck going on the wall of thank you cards and Christmas cards. Yeah. Well, the Christmas cards can't stay up. Well, for
2: technically. Little. No, I didn't put the Christmas cards up. I put an Oleo card up that came at Christmas because it just has the, it Oleos, just has the Oleo logo yeah, on the front. And then Peter's waving at us in his card.
0: So It's a picture of Peever. Peever? I, I feel like Peaver's with us. Give it to Peever. <laughs> <laughs> That's going in the show notes. Leave it to Peever.
2: <laughs> anyway, so he's waving to us all the time when we're in the studio doing the podcast.
0: Now we'll have Alaska. Remember Alaska. So uh, St. Patrick's Days this weekend. It's amateur hour. I but, uh, aside from the parade, which I'm sure will happen, what else is going on, Jess?
1: It will happen. You can come to a party with me on Friday night at Liquid Joe's.
0: Nothing fucking stops the parade. Wait, wait. Liquid Joe's. Who's playing?
1: Uh, the Oingo Boingo dance party. Oh,
0: really? So it's, it's the- like three quarters
1: of the members of Oingo Boingo. Oh, is it really? Yeah.
0: Oh, are they yeah. sold out?
1: No. I'm going. I missed them. They played Cinco de Mayo last year and I didn't go going and I regretted it. Up? I don't know. I did oh I totally didn't ask. I asked him last time. I, I bet oh, he loves
0: Lingo Bungo.
1: No, it was last year that I asked, and he was going to be out of town.
0: I didn't ask this time. Uh, I'll I'll, ask. First off, I don't. I'm not a bar person. I don't like. Bar. Bree's mom sent us a thing, and she's like, "Hey, you guys should check out Prohibition. It's this new bar." It's this new bar. <laughs>
2: I'm like, like two years old. What? Two <laughs> <like>, years later. <laughs> like, I'm like, like uh, no, mom, it's not. But thanks. First off, awesome. We don't
1: go to bars, like. Ever for but anything? It's, that's more like loungy, like yeah, but because
0: it used to be the hookah bar. But we don't go to bars, like wh- yeah. like never, like why the f- in, you like went nine to that years? Jazz place that was a bar. Yeah, but okay, so we've been to like one bar in I'm nine years. Like, I mean, we've been to a couple others. but Yeah, like, but we it's went to that we because it was somebody's
2: birthday and we got invited.
0: But Bree's mom like is, is she just assume that we're going out to bars now she and like we she should go, go out check out this new hip partner. bar? It's weird. I don't do that. I don't have a first off, if you've ever met me in person, I'm I don't have party. That's, okay. That's not part of my personality.
2: And if and if we are somewhere else and it's a bigger gathering than like just our our close personal what is it, dozen dozen friends. I guess it's about six couples. Chris will just walk out.
0: Yeah, I just Like,
2: leave. if it's... If it's
0: <laughs> I'm such a dick. you just I, it's, leave. It's just because I think, like, saying goodbye to everyone in the party is stupid, because there's always some asshole that's like, no, man, no, you gotta stay, come hang out, just, talk, just come talk and stay, and I don't ever want to fucking do that, because when I'm ready to leave, <laughs> I'm ready to just fucking leave, and so I just slip out and disappear, and my friends, my other friends, that they're just used to it. They just know that happens. I don't say bye.
2: Yeah, I remember when I first started reading you're around like jeremy and josh and those guys you'd get texts after
0: um everything okay, oh, okay i'm fine it's cool i just do um, i was just done so uh okay so the oh, man that's i'll be at that Day. by
1: myself with probably hundreds of my best friends what?
2: uh <laughs> <laughs> her oingo boingo friends
0: a bunch of a bunch of people are aged <laughs> like oingo boingo basically basically. No youngins. That is the nice thing. You're not going to see a whole lot of youngins at an Oingo Boingo dance party show at Liquid jazz He's 21 and older, yes. Well, I, to me, youngins is like 23, 20, any... I don't you know, know. There, there were people that were
1: commenting that was like, oh, I wish this was all ages. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Thank God. So, <laughs> oh my God. So that's happening on Friday and uh, also this weekend. So last week I said that Fulk Hogan was playing up at the Canyons, but that is wrong. Um, The 15th, they're playing... at I know. uh, Oh, I think it changed um, because it was actually an event on Facebook. Um, So the 15th, they're playing in Provo ABGs, um, and then on the 17th on actual St. Patrick's Day, they will be playing at Soundwell, which is on, like, 2nd South and 1st, no
0: what, no. or something? We no. can't be totally kitschy with the, the folk Hogan at the Piper Down.
1: No. I guess not. Um, if you want to go up north, you can go see Travis Tate is playing at the Ogden. Yeah, Wise guys. Ogden I actually thought On the about 15th that.
0: and 16th. I thought about it, and I'm like, ah, you're to go to Ogden? That's, that's his King of the Leopard. Yeah,
1: but there are, like, show, right? awesome restaurants up there, too, you could go to. Yes.
0: Something like Yes, that. there are. Okay couple
1: awesome um, also on the 15th uh, we talked about last
2: week drag bingo at the first Baptist oh church oh crap I was gonna ask you about drag stuff because I was talking to our my physical therapist and one of them says I wish that there were drag shows and stuff here and I was like uh, how long have you been in Utah because there's like lots of drag shows and the other guy is like you should ask Brie. I think she does a show where they talk about drag <laughs> shows and I said I do a podcast with a lady who used to make drag brunch
0: right. every Sunday. So, yes, the humbling, there are drag shows in Utah. Oh, I was going to say, though, speaking of good restaurants in, in uh, Weaver County, I actually think this is Tremont or Parry, Utah. So I read on the news the other day there is a guy that was uh, in court uh, for like 12 different counts of forcible sexual assault and like sodomy with inanimate objects and shit like that. Cakes. Uh I mean, I don't know what they were, um, but it's the owner of a restaurant in Perry, Utah called The Rusted Spoon. I wonder what he's doing with that rusty uh, spoon. That was a former client of mine. Oh, no. I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed that he was like that, but apparently it was like employee's And in the restaurant that this stuff happened, according to the charging documents,
1: you never know what's going on in people's lives. Not a current
0: customer, but a former customer of mine. The dirty spoon. (laughs) Uh, so if you get past drag I I know I interrupted events but you just fucking killed it no we're
1: still going because the 16th is 4th West Fest at Mount West Cider and it's super fun if you haven't been go it's awesome their cider's there they have food trucks games uh, it's just really super fun, and then the 16th that's also, a, as you said, is perfect. the parade, which I assume is going through the Gateway again because that's usually where it goes. I
0: have so. no effing clue. I think parades are stupid. But <laughs> I that's parades. right. You like parades? So, is what we said? Do mm. you like getting candy it's thrown, thrown at you, for you and watching little kids like up. dive in front of vehicles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, get run over. There's some tradition in like parades for me growing up too, which is probably why I hate them. <laughs> So, so <laughs> it, it probably works both ways. <laughs> I,
1: I wrote down on our our sheet for next week. There are actually some really cool events that are happening. We talked about Harmons and how they are doing. Oh my god! The training. I saw this and
0: I was like. <laughs> I want to fucking do this.
1: I know. It's awesome, right? So for $65 at the Farmington Station Harmons, they are doing a knife skills class.
0: Are going do a post skills, too? No, dude. It's fucking knives.
1: No, like culinary knives,
0: like French I'm culinary going, knives. I'm going to stab you with one. I'll go to this thing <laughs> and get the knife and stab but you with my knife. What
1: is cool about this is you can go to com and they have classes all over the valley. And this one was just the first one that popped up. And I was like, oh, this is actually really rad. Um, on the, and that's on the 20th up in Farmington. On the 21st, um, our good friend Farmer Luke is doing a uh, kind of like a. I guess it's a it's not really a class it's more it's like a, it's like a TED talk it's like a farmer TED talk um, history of the farm uh, with farmer Luke it's five dollars at the farm at six thirty 30 p.m. Uh, they'll be talking he's gonna be talking about the history of his farm like the role that it plays in the community the changes that it's going through and then what the future holds for Peterson family farm so you can go on nice. to and it's Peterson with an E-N, Peterson it, family by the E.N. Petersonfamilyfarm.com
0: by the way if you want I hear our interview with Farmer Luke. this Farmer Luke's fucking smart dude. And it was really, really a great conversation we had with him. That's episode 95. Nice. I did some research. I saw about that. I, I was really excited about that. So I couldn't be like, whoa, well, we talked to him I don't know, like fucking hundred shows ago or something.
1: So I picked I picked another event that is also up in Ogden on the 21st. But this one is important because we always talk about uh, climate or clean air. Um, the laws for the plastic bags is... Being talked about right now, but up at Weber State is a sustainability conference, and what that is is it's actually two days, the twenty first and twenty second, and it's the tenth annual, and it's just workshops. There's workshops on climate change, nonprofits, clean energy, um, affordable green housing, uh, and. The registration closes on the 19th, but you can still register, like, the day of. And if you're a student, it's, like, $30. If you're a professional, it's $105. But that's for, like... The whole entire weekend, so I just thought that was really neat that they that that's been going on for that long and that those conversations are
0: happening where students are involved. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I, I've been looking at the Harmon's classes, <laughs> <laughs> so that, the knife skills class. The only thing I'll say about that is I I don't know what I would do with that knife because I invested a lot of money in really really good knives years ago, and they're still really really good knives like when you spend 200 and something dollars on a knife and take care of it it lasts
1: well and i think on there it said like you can even bring a knife and they'll like sharpen it for you for like 10 bucks or something like that like there so it's not
0: just like probably just honing it because real sharpening is uh, you have to have a lot of special equipment for that
1: maybe they do you don't know they could
0: they could have like so at the farmer's market in the summer there's always there is a, a, a sharpener but they have like an actual sharpener so my
1: grandfather sharpened knives that yeah. was his business it's, i wonder if they'll sharpen
0: my shears yes they will yeah if they're real shears
2: they are they're those scissors that
0: i use up serious just the big black ones mm-hmm. yeah those are good i <laughs> like them uh so anyway yeah um thanks jess i now i really want to if I really want to take that. It's really
1: good. Yeah. Just like you can plug can in I- which like you can even plug in chefs that they have and like see what classes they're offering.
0: Yeah. I mean, they do stuff like uh, grilling and beer, uh sparkling taste of Italy, how to cook, oh, how to cook the best Spanish paella. I wanted to cook paella for a long time, and I know it's a super big commitment. And if you fuck it up, it's just going to be horrible. And I don't have a paella. You don't know
1: paella. unless you try. Listen, this weekend I'm going to be making a cake that I've never done before. Yeah, but, I but, know that's every weekend, but this is like a really special one. No,
0: but a, you can do it. If you fuck up a cake, it's your time, right? Like
1: and in your ingredients and
0: everything. Paella is like a lot of really fucking expensive ingredients. Like it's no, j- it's that and a lot of like expensive seafood shit. Except for I think at Costco and Sam's they have a bag of frozen paella seafood mix, but I don't know if you would use that. But anyway, I'm just saying fondant's not just as expensive as claimed. I'm seriously considering it right now. <laughs> you have no idea. Because I've always wanted to cook paella. A few, be a-, um, it's a few months. It's a lot more than that. <gasps> Magic macarons. Pecarons.
1: I can teach you how to make those. Mm. I won't even charge a lot.
0: A mm. lot. <laughs> are you going to charge me for it? No. That's fucked up. <laughs> I do want to learn how to make those. That I is to, my favorite cookie. I
1: have to pay for the ingredients. Almond flour is not
0: cheap, I'll yo. Buy, is that why is that? Why they're so special as almond flour? Mm-hmm. I'm happy to buy
1: well, them. Well, actually, it's more than just almond flour, but yeah. yes, that is one of the reasons. Oh, I love them. They're my
0: favorite thing on the planet. Okay. Sorry, sorry to our listeners for uh, me <laughs> yeah. drooling on about macrons and paella and knife skills. I think the knife skills class, even for me, would be interesting because... I think I have pretty good knife skills, but I don't know if there, maybe I'm doing things incorrectly. It's always good to learn yeah. new things. I did cut my finger off, off it be almost. It a new talent. So like now, Christmas Eve. Yeah, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Cutting a banana. Don't ask. Of a all things. Don't ask. don't ask. Also, sharp knives, kids. My finger's still here because it was nice and cleanish. The stitches were not clean. <laughs> not like a head
2: trimmer that doesn't leave a clean cut
0: no not at all <laughs> uh okay so should we do a little bit of news just maybe a tiny bit of news um and then uh, we'll talk to Sim um, So uh, What's this tie? I didn't do this tie company article Who did this one? And I haven't read it because I'm lazy
2: The tie company article We can
1: do it another time since nobody read it Because okay. it is actually cool Yeah, I,
0: I'm sorry I just, I've been really busy and... Oh, I read it Well, then let's talk it's about it It's a magnetic it. tie what it Okay, what's so special about a magnetic tie? Because I have clip-ons
2: well it looks better than that it's a little bit easier to use it looks super professional and they're even thinking about using it at the MTC for missionaries but that's not why it's cool you guys no. that's not why it's cool but that's what the tie is
0: okay so why is it cool why is it cool? Why do
2: I have to say? Because you read the article. Just just put it on there. She read it too. (laughs) So it was a Kickstarter and it's these two brothers who used to be, um, drug addicts and it took them years and years and years to get, um, to get clean. And then they invented this tie together. And now it's like, it's everybody wants it. Famous people are wearing it. It, I I think it's an awesome story. And so all of their proceeds, not all of their proceeds, part of their proceeds go toward um, helping people Beat addictions and and stay clean Because they even had to stay away from each other for a while Since they were both addicts They couldn't really be around each other
0: Ryan Smith, that's a Mormon name if I've ever heard one
2: Ryan and Daniel Smith
0: Wow, that is That's about as white So
2: that's the cool part of it, is they're former addicts And now they're using this This Kickstarter So the Kickstarter goal was like 10,000 And they like went way, Way above and beyond it Um but beyond that, then some of their proceeds go to help others. See, and they're going to have a women's and a kid's line. Oh, yeah. They're developing other lines.
0: Nice. What's the... Uh, do, I, do I need to go next?
2: Oh, no, no. But I was trying to look for the the website. I can't... I thought it was at the very bottom. watertie.com. Yeah.
0: There you go. All right. I, wa- I want to talk about... Uh, I want to talk about something. So we're going to talk a little bit about... The hate crimes law uh, and some of that stuff with with Sim Gill but um, I want to talk specifically about the conversion therapy legislation that has been out there um, what was the what was the bill number does anyone remember no um, I'll
2: look and see if it's in this
0: I don't know if House Bill 399 okay so HB 399 um, which was a bill that was proposed um, to make conversion therapy illegal to ban it and make it a criminal offense
2: was it just specifically for kids, or just in in its entirety?
0: So it it was it was for kids. If you're over eighteen, you can have whatever the fuck you want done to you because you you have the ability and the and the agency to say what you do and don't want. But it made it illegal for children to be placed into conversion therapy and for conversion therapy to perform, be performed on kids. So uh, it got into the house and it got into a committee and then they started making all sorts of fucking changes because, you know, the Mormon church doesn't like gay people. Um I'm I have no problem saying it out loud because it's true. They have a long history of interfering with uh pro gay legislations, pro pro LGBTQ legislation.
2: You're saying pro like it's positive. You mean Yeah, they anti- ha-
0: they have a history of interfering with Oh, I see what you're and, saying. with, with pro legislation. They are very anti-gay. They are very anti-LGBTQ. I don't give a shit what they say publicly. They are responsible for things like this happening in the state of Utah at the very least. They fund things like Prop 8, right? They, f- they fund political campaigns to destroy pro-LGBTQ legislation. And basically what happened here is they took a really well-written piece of legislation and turned it into a big, giant pile of shit that basically offered no protection for kids that are pushed through conversion therapy. There is no science behind conversion therapy. In fact, all the stuff that's out there says it causes more problems than it solves. Well, there was no protection for trans people either. Yeah. And that was stripped out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, if you are identifying as a female and you were born with male body parts, they could still send you through conversion therapy and have someone. And here's the problem with conversion therapy. Even if you don't engage in the crazy like shock therapy, lobotomy style shit, you are telling someone as a kid that who you think you are Let's say you're 13 when you're developing and and you're starting to have feelings for men instead of women. Because at eight, you don't really feel love necessarily the same way, right? But as you start to mature, you start to actually have those more mature adult emotions. And it's a confusing time for kids. Uh, And conversion therapy basically tells you what you're feeling is wrong. What you're feeling is wrong. Who you think you are is wrong. Everything that you know about yourself is wrong. You're wrong. You're a bad person because you think things are are, And that's exactly what it does. Period. End of subject. And in the state of Utah, we we have a really high suicide rate amongst young people and amongst disproportionately people in the LGBTQ community. So the governor has set up. This task force, right? The suicide task force, uh, youth suicide task force, specifically to try and address this problem. There's a lot of prominent people on it. Um, you know, one of the most prominent is is Troy Williams, who is the head of Equality Utah, which is a uh, very much a, an LGBTQ rights organization. Um, and once this legislation changed, Governor Herbert came out and said, "Yeah, I support these changes." Within a couple hours of him saying that Troy Williams quit the suicide task force and this article is old and it doesn't even say all the others but several other members of that task force said clearly you don't give a shit Governor Herbert clearly you don't understand the problem because this is a huge part of the problem
1: and for the record. Uh, the, so it was like the next day There was a crowd of I'm going to lightly call them protesters Because they just went up and basically sat At the Capitol and Spencer Cox sitting? Went Spencer Cox went and sat With every single one of them and listened To their stories and said I have been fighting for this for you And I'm going to continue
0: fighting For this. So he didn't just sit and Listen to their stories. He sat and Participated in yeah, the sit-in. It was That's awesome. essentially What it was. Yeah. And, and he Did listen to their stories. Mm-hmm. But he he participated in their protest, and to have your lieutenant governor participate in something like that says a lot. Mm-hmm. So, props to Spencer Cox. I think he is a, a far non stand up dude, and I think Governor Herbert's a jackass. And I, it's really sad to see the leaders of these organizations that have worked so hard to try and help the youth of this state and help lower things like suicide. Um, feel like they have to, they have to not support that movement in the same way because clearly the governor doesn't understand clearly the legislature doesn't give a shit. Uh, so, I'm sorry, I don't know if that brings us down or not, but it really pissed me off. It was It's despicable what happened with that legislation. Well, there
2: are kids killing themselves over this. Like, it's not hard enough to be a kid as it is and just go through puberty when everybody's supporting you and all your hormones are raging, let alone I can't even imagine what it would be like when everybody is telling you that there's something wrong with you. And then to have the people who are trying to support you, shush, just shot down. It's just got to feel like everywhere you turn, there's nowhere for you to go, and no wonder they kill themselves. Because it's hard enough as an adult to maintain... Um, what am I trying to like a logical thought when you're very upset about something, but when you're a kid, everything like down to running out of toothpaste can sometimes feel like the end of the world. And so I can't imagine just feeling attacked from every single space that you occupy, not having a single safe place to go and having even the people that, that you, you, no more trying to help you get shot down too. I it, it it makes me so mad. I I obviously cannot even think of the right words that I want to say.
0: So uh speaking of awesome uh Lieutenant Governor Cox. Um, <laughs> so the there's been a battle going on uh, in the state of utah um we talked about it quite a bit the counter vote initiative uh and the uh the compromise legislation that was passed sb sb 54 i think um some some time ago um like two years ago i think uh is when it was passed uh, but essentially So in the state of Utah, uh, on the the Republican side of things, um, you have always only been able to be elected or be put on the ballot if you got voted in in a caucus. We've talked about that a lot. You can go listen to other episodes if you want to hear the details. Um, But... This bill allowed for candidates to collect signatures to get on the ballot, much like a ballot initiative appears, but to be able to get onto a ballot for citizens to vote for them for office. And that's been a big fight in the Republican Party. Um, the Utah GOP has basically challenged the law uh, through the court systems. And, um, you know, Ben Winslow, uh, awesome Ben Winslow, posted I love a meme. Spencer yeah, he posted he me a meme up. about it. Uh, so the Supreme Court for um the the Utah Supreme Court not the Utah Supreme Court excuse me the U.S. Supreme Court so it went all the way up to SCOTUS uh, and SCOTUS has said we're not going to hear the lawsuit Uh, we're not going to hear the Utah Party's lawsuit over the the law because uh, we agree with the lower court's decision or it doesn't hold merit to be uh, a U.S. Supreme Court decision there's a lot of reasons they don't hear cases but when they choose not to hear a case that means the lower court's ruling stands and so um, Ben Winslow had posted a meme that said it's gone, it's done. It's from the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And Spencer Cox retweets it and puts, if you're wondering, that's me and Ben's gif. (laughs) So he didn't, he hadn't initially uh, issued a statement, but basically he's saying, fucking finally, it's done. You dumbasses." Because... For those of you that Throwing don't know, ring and that's actually a big deal. That's that's part of that's one of the biggest charges of the lieutenant governor's office is they actually run elections. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, they have to abide by those laws. And um, you know, he has some thoughts. He, he's on X ninety six regularly during the legislative session, like once a week. He's on mm-hmm. the, the show uh, in the morning, um, and he's it's fantastic to listen to him talk to people.
1: I was up the people I was like why do you have this guy with this agenda? And I'm like, he's just like flat out talking. I don't ever feel that he...
0: I don't ever feel he's got an agenda. Yeah, ever. I don't know. People people ask hard questions and he gives the best answer that he can and, and he says things like... I don't know. I'm not a legislator.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he is a Republican that I would vote for if he ran for governor. Then you need to register as a Republican? I would just to vote for him.
0: I'd vote for him over a lot of Democrats in this state.
2: I would, because you know what I what I like about him is I feel like he's very bipartisan, so he's Republican and he's conservative, but he really does listen to people and, and he is willing to cross the aisle and he's... He's willing to do the work and put it in. And, and there's just not enough people that are willing to do that. And so I would rather go with somebody that I know is willing to do that, even though they don't really see eye to eye with me on everything. Just because I know that he'd be willing to work with people when really it really counted. Well,
0: we'll know in the fall. With us again today is uh, Salt Lake County District Attorney Sim Gill.
1: Initially. only been six months. Can, can you believe that? He
0: was running, so he was. Well, he was the district attorney what? then, too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you yeah, for yeah. acknowledging <laughs> that. This isn't new, Jeremy. No, no, just saying. So, so it's official. re-re. re, 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 re elected,
3: Three, you? right? Yeah, yes, yeah. it is, yes. Three-peat. Three-peat. Three-peat, yep. Happy to be here. Yep. So there be return limits the DA? No, there should not be. <laughs> Let me tell you why. No, honestly, I actually believe, I understand the idea of term limits, but there are certain institutions where I think longevity actually helps you to create the kind of institutional change that you want to have. In fact, the challenge with the Salt Lake County District Attorney's Office as an institution has been that people have come and gone and they sort of reset, then somebody resets their reset and then somebody resets their reset. And if we're talking about delivering justice in a meaningful, substantive way to our community. This is really about building an infrastructure and an institution that will transcend the passing of transitory DAs. So that's what my commitment has been. And so I came here to make a generational change, and the goal is to stay there. I've been asked to run for Congress. They've asked me to run for the Attorney General's office, and I politely declined that because I came here to do a job and to actually build an institution that is accessible to all of my community and we can be a part of and and be proud of, and that's hard work, and that requires longevity. So I'm here for the long haul because I'm playing the long game of social justice for my community. He, he answered one of the yeah, questions. that was yeah, totally question. And when <laughs> he says his
2: community, Christopher, he means he went to Kerns High. Yeah,
3: that's right. That's Kerns High Cougars, and we yeah, actually did. went to the same junior high we school. We did. Jeremy and yeah. Sim
2: and, and I are all uh, Valley
0: Junior Ligers Ligers, Ligers. 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 There you go. <laughs> absolutely. There were probably less and guns at Kern oh, High that. School when you the <laughs> there.
3: <that> nice? hey, <laughs> hey, come on now. Let's not go there. Well, these, these, <laughs> are, these are the stereotypes we all have to fight. Although, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it's, it's true
2: because my kids went to um, St. Francis Xavier. Uh-huh. Uh and every time Kearns High went on lockdown, they would have to because of the proximity. Oh, I see. And my mom taught at Beehive, which is in awesome. this neighborhood exactly. here. Oh, wow. And so my mom would always say, we're in lockdown. So it probably happened about five times during the, my girls' elementary
3: school yeah, career. It's un- you know, and the sad part is, look, uh, that's a reality we all have to acknowledge. Uh, the, the, you know, Guns are out there, and there are communities, and uh, there's a sense of uh, loss and alienation. And we are losing a generation of, uh, of people to gun violence and uh, that is something that we need to acknowledge and uh, this is an epidemic right uh, look uh, I, I I support the second amendment i 'm a concealed carrier because I have to with my with my work and but i don 't think that I abdicated my common sense or my responsibility of responsible gun ownership and at the same time be willing to acknowledge the epidemic deaths that are occurring when we have over thirty thousand deaths that are occurring on an annual basis, then uh, we have a problem. And we have become so numb to this idea because remember a mass shooting is when there's uh, three or more people who are shot or killed at a single event right yes. and, and, I, and I, I, I actually graphed this uh, actually borrowed it from the New York Times we went almost uh, two years where we haven't gone a month and I actually went like when you look mm-hmm. at it there were like 30 mass shootings in one month there were 22 mass shootings another month they just don't get the headlines we are getting uh, a, a two or three mass shootings Every week, uh, every year, and that's what's causing this epidemic. But those don't get the headlines. But those bodies are dropping. Just uh, those families are suffering. Those uh, that chaos is being caused. It just does not get the headlines. It's happening on a daily basis, folks. So let me ask you,
0: Sam: What's the bigger national emergency? Uh, gun violence and mass shootings in this country, or border crossing? Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, you know, you know, you know. The, I mean, you and I can talk about opioid deaths. We can talk about gun shootings, one. Uh, you know, etc, etc, and we are losing more lives and some real challenges in our community on a, on a daily basis, and our policymakers man i, I can 't understand where we are i 'd understand what space we 're occupying there has to be a level of conscious denial that is going on where you have to deny the reality that is going on uh, that everybody else is uh, uh, feeling and experiencing, and then we 're using mass media and social media, whatever to actually as a subterfuge to cover that up is fascinating to me. We live in the, we're supposed to be the most freest society, but we're probably the most propaganda-driven society well, ever. Marketing wins. We'll, you know? we'll look at look at
0: what happened with, with the citizens finally saying, hey, we want changes with with, with Prop 2 and Prop 3. And thankfully, they didn't yeah. touch Prop 4 yet, but that's coming. It's in coming. Year, anyway. It's coming. But, but then the legislature <laughs> goes, yeah, yeah, I know you guys want this, but we know better. Well, yeah. what
2: about the bill that they just did where um, they were trying to keep uh, concealed weapons off of school grounds, and you can walk right up to the door with your f- sidearm oh, yeah. open carry. You're right. What's the point of that? This isn't uh-huh. 1842. We don't need And, and they had a provision in the bill, you know, so that people could drive, you know, drop off their kid and still have your, you know, You're your right. gun in the car or whatever, but... I don't. I don't know why you need to be able to walk right up to the doors with your gun. You right. need to be ready for a gun duel at any time. <laughs> I just like don't the understand West. that, especially with 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 smaller kids. I just feel like. So I, I went to to I used to work with this girl who took gun who you took get, a hunter's permit thing, right. and she's like, "I don't understand why people are so worried about kids picking up guns. I said, "You grew up with them every single right. day, and your dad stressed that every single day. I didn't, and I can't guarantee that even right. as a kid, I would have realized the danger of a gun
3: yeah." Well, you know, look, uh, I understand the desire to exercise your constitutionally protected right. But we're also adults. We're also civilized. We get to choose a little bit about how we want to interact, for example, with our children and our schools and so forth. Right. So, for example, as an adult, if you want to look at pornography, it's your right to look at pornography. But you wouldn't want to exercise that uh, right at the front gate of uh, elementary school. okay? (laughs) By the same time you're waiting to pick up the kids. Uh, Right. Right. (laughs) You know. Hey, on the school bus. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm exercising my, you know, constitutional right. You know, so I, I, it's not, it's not about respecting that. It's about just recognizing that, the, you know, we have certain concerns as a community, as a society, and those are don't always have to be butting heads with constitutional rights. I support the Second Amendment, but I also support human evolution and agency and intel- intelligence to say that we can come up with ways where we won't impri- uh, infringe on that. And still have a reasonable society with other concerns that are of concern to us, right? And uh, and and it's not about a binary choice of, in order for me to win, you have to lose. We can have differences of existence and opinions and we can still st- be adults about it. Well look, I mean yeah. we forbid
0: we have freedom of speech and we have the ability to protest, but what happens when you want to organize a large protest? You have to get permits to do it. Yes. You don't just get to have two thousand people show up on Capitol Hill without proper permits and, and proper security and things like that. Yeah. What's to say you don't have to have a permit to carry a gun. You have every right to do it. We right. have to have a license
3: to drive a car well, that has a real purpose yeah. other than killing someone. Right. And I mean I mean there's common sense things, right? We go into your garage and you uh, park your car, you don't leave it running because it creates noxious fumes, yeah. and, you know. And so, you, you know, we, we can learn from our human experience. So we can say, you know what, schools are an area where nobody should be carrying guns. You're not allowed to you carry know? them in a post uh, office. You can't carry them through the airport. <laughs> yeah, you can't carry them onto, into a federal courthouse. Like. So that doesn't mean that your lo- uh, rights are any less valuable, right? You don't have to go out there and assert them. Nobody's impinging on upon those rights, and we can talk about creating certain, certain levels of decorum. When we go to church to worship, we go there with a certain somber attitude. You don't go there to be, you know, you don't go down there to throw down Van Halen, right? Okay. And, uh, you I didn't know, know what church uh, you were going to uh, do, you know? But, I mean, my point is simply that we share, we, as, as a social structures of our communities, we share in those what we call norms of uh, civilized behavior, and that's not in violation of somebody's constitutional rights it's just the conditions by which we say we want a bit better, safer community. That's all we're talking about.
0: I want to go back to the to the joke I made half half joke, half reality of, of guns at Kearns High School. So. Kearns is an area, I joke on the show, that we live kind of in gangland, but I love living here. Right. But the truth of the matter is, in the last year, we've had a ton of gun violence and a lot of drive-bys in this area. Yes. And and that's a factor of just where we're at. Property values are not great and money for public education in this particular community is not great as a result, because that's a huge huge contributor to public education here.
3: So we're talking about poverty, we're talking about lost economic opportunity, we're talking about the breakdown of the family structure and support. We're talking about the basic elements uh, which actually help people thrive. You know, there was an interesting study that was done that talks about, for example, that if you have a person who, a child who's physically or sexually or emotionally abused, it's not a big leap of faith or uh, reasonable inference to say that that person is going to subsequently participate in criminal behavior. But a co-occurring, co-equal contributor uh, to childhood abuse is child. Childhood neglect, The failure to thrive, which will also is a co-equal co- contributor for subsequent criminality. And failure to thrive is having a safe roof over your head, having food in your belly, feeling a sense of security, not living in a state of hypervigilance where you feel like that you're under attack constantly. And those are issues that we can actually uh, impact and build better communities. So when we talk about depressed communities, they're depressed not only on an emotional level, but they're economically de- depressed, they're, uh, they're uh, institutionally depressed, they don't have the resources that, uh, that are there you walk into a, a depressed community it's cheaper to buy high fruit corn syrup soda than it is to be able to have access to fresh fruit right, so all of these things come together to create the communities that we have and good public policy is having the courage to discuss these issues to talk about what kind of society we want to live in so, so look, I grew up in Kearns, I love Kearns uh, uh, Kearns was uh, and continues to be uh, hardworking families which, are, uh, which have the same aspiration as anybody else. They want to be able to keep their children safe. They want to give them some sense of a linear progression of opportunity and community. They want their children to have good uh, educations. Nobody wants their child to fail. And it is our society then that, that fails. And then, the, then we complain and say, geez, what happened? Because the individual constituent elements of that society also display that failure. And then we say they're to blame, but we want to absolve ourselves of any responsibility or guilt. So I find that deeply fascinating. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's rarely, I, rarely
0: people leave me speechless.
2: <laughs> well, and and we talked about this a little bit upstairs. I grew up. I grew up here my whole life. My my grandparents um, live just down the street. Yeah, my really? mom lives just down the street. So, yeah. Kansas has always been a safe place for me. I've never had anything bad happen to right. me, but I know that other people have, sure. and so. I mean, I I protect Kerns. I, I stand up for it. Um, I think it's a great place to be. Um, I love that we're. I, I say, you know, technically we're on the bench too. Yes. I mean, I'm on a mountain bench. We Absolutely. have some great views. Um, it's beautiful over here. But because it's not the the east side and it's not as as wanted, um, we do. We have Kerns is the lowest. Rated high school, uh, you know, the highest rates of dropping out, yes, all of that stuff. And and I feel
0: terrible, yeah, yeah, because
2: I see these there's little kids that play in this circle constantly little little kids and I think
0: (laughs) and yeah we continue to
3: elect Eric Hutchings (laughs) well uh, look you know Eric is Eric is a good good guy he's a good good dude dude. you know he means well and he works hard he's worked really hard on uh, justice reinvestment issues and I I, you know uh, you know your point I think is so on uh, on the money there because when we have you know as a public prosecutor the single best thing that I can do to reduce recidivism is have people graduate from high school Mm -hmm. education Right. And, you know, I went down and spoke to Kearns High School about five years ago and talked to them about why it was important for them to graduate from high school, because statistically, if you don't graduate from high school, you're likely to have a lesser quality of life. You're uh, likely to suffer more from health issues. You're likely to uh, be more uh, involved in the criminal justice system. You're likely to actually create a intergenerational poverty that you're going to contribute to. And that comes down to the basic elements of education. So why, you know, why are we failing in that education? And I'm, I I mean, I believe when I think about America, I'm an immigrant son, right? And, uh, and uh, for us, education and the opportunities that were tied to education were so critical. And, you know, and these are the values. I remember growing up in Kearns, everybody wanted to achieve, right? The, The value of Kearns is, you know, and I'll tell you, you know, here's for my Democratic colleagues out in the state of Utah, right? Demo- in Kerns and West Valley and Magna should be the natural constituency of the democratic party and they're not. Because if you're both at a local level and at a national level, that that Trump won the working class and he won the working class because he started to speak to the things that were of urgency to them. And we need to start creating a political dialogue that is truly inclusive, not just in the rhetoric of our political conversation, but inclusion means going to places that you don't feel comfortable in and reaching out to people that you wouldn't want to talk to that's what inclusion is and that's recognizing our failures under our best of our circumstances and when if Kearns fails or West Valley fails or Magna fails, (coughs) excuse me, they fail on our watch and it's our moral obligation to not first of all all that stereotype to take hold and two to kind of make the interpersonal connections that are necessary to change the very fabric of this community. This community sometimes feels left out and isolated. I remember growing up here we used to talk about the east siders and the west siders, right? <laughs> and, you know, and I came from a, you know, a working class family and, uh, and we had things and we, we, you know, we cared about the same things. It was that stigma that was created. It was that uh, separation that was created. And that speaks to a larger issue when we talk about the 1% and the rest of us in the 99%. It is that wealth inequity, is that distancing that we feel from our social structures. And we kind of play into that. And to me, Kearns is a beautiful community. And I I always talk about, I learned my ethical code of working and what it means to be from working families from Kearns. My entire political affiliate, uh, sort of part of my political uh, orientation comes from that core that I learned at Kearns. These men and women who would go out and work 40, 50 hours and they were pursuing the American dream. That's why my family came here and to me Kearns has always been that seed of hopefulness. So I always look at it in that, those terms and if it's not there, then I want to do everything I can to not let that stereotype take away from it.
2: I feel like it's an expectation, too. So um, I sent my kids to parochial school. I uh, got them in, in pretty young with the help of the principal over here. But but they, they went to the parochial school over here on the right. west side. They didn't have some of the, the fun bells and whistles. But they grew up the whole time through that school with an expectation um of going to college. I don't yeah. think it ever even occurred to either one of my children right. that they wouldn't. And I feel like when you're poor, your expectation is you won't go to college. Right. You're too poor to do it. Um, your school isn't, you know, can't, can't give you to get the resources behind right. you. And I think it, it, it can totally be a mental thing because yeah. my kids are West siders. Right. They've lived here their whole lives. And yet just by changing that expectation of, you're, you're going to college. There's yeah. not an if you're that's going right. to
3: college. So in our family that was the expectation. There was there was no question about it that we were going to go to college and we were going to work hard and succeed and this opportunity was here. Now I'm going to just push back slightly on that this way that there is a, you know when we talk about the working class uh, college has been sold and sometimes oversold and for the working class it really is about a skill and uh, and that's the fascinating disconnect because the liberal elite sometime uh, the uh, the meritocracy uh, class which believes in that uh, that going to school is all you need to do to change your station that works but for many of the working uh, poor and the working uh, class it's about they look at it and they say listen hang on a second college is uh, you need to earn a skill so I have I'll tell you share this story I've got a friend of mine from Kearns High school his uh, his grandfather oh hey hang on I'm gonna stop Sorry, right I'm there having no, having it? Okay. <laughs> hey we're gonna Ben's interrupt it up
1: in my Twitter Absolutely.
3: Just, went, just for everybody that, <laughs> who's listening saying why what did he did he interrupt? While we're sitting here speaking and this Utah I said Utah podcast, my favorite, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be here. I've got colleagues right now up at the hill as we speak and uh, my understanding is that uh, we're finding success on hate crime, folks. Yeah. Four to nine. The, the, there funny. we go. Amazing. This is something we've been working on for 18 years. So now you guys won't have to hand stuff off to federal prosecutors. That, there you go. There you go. Justice has arrived in the state of Utah. Welcome, Sister Justice. <laughs> and this, is, this, this
0: is one of the... We'll, we'll get back to the current yeah. discussion in a second, but this is one of the things when you were talking about uh, longevity and, and why you believed being in this office for a long time makes sense. This this is one of the very specific reasons, right? It
3: is. It is. This has been something near and dear to me for 18 years uh, since I became uh, the city prosecutor in 2000. Uh, I've seen the uh, the injustice that happens because we've not had a workable hate crime in the state of Utah. Uh, I've seen communities that have been impacted and victimized who feel like they're unseen and they're unheard. And and, and when we fail to see them, then they don't matter to us. We we went through the facade of uh, patting ourselves on the back saying that we had a hate crime statute and I've always said it's in name only it's not worth the paper that it's written on because it's not a tool that we as prosecutors could rely upon so we've been working doggedly doggedly for this and each year we get a little bit closer and each year something defeated it and there was this big he- issue about lgbtq issues that uh, that they were not going to be included in and uh, and uh, and but we went back to it this year I'm just so excited this year we Went back and we worked at it again, and the timing was right. And if the if the uh, the tweets and the uh, communications on my smartphone are accurate, <laughs> we have uh, we passed <laughs> it, right? So you've uh, been working with
1: Senator uh, Senator Thatcher, right, yeah. to get this yeah, going. So, so, so
3: we actually helped draft the bill. That's uh, fantastic. We helped draft the bill. But to go to your point, uh, you know, Chris, the the bottom line is that's exactly what I'm talking about. If we want long-term systemic institutional change, it's not about coming you know it's not like like say this is not about hit and run politics right this is about working hard to own a space and then staying there long enough to make a difference and uh, we've had multiple colleagues multiple coalitions and we have worked year after year and it's because of that long-term commitment so thank you for it's acknowledging like the
1: that. only office that really could have
3: that longevity because of what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, this is about uh, there are are political offices which I understand the transition of elected makes sense in that, but there are certain offices which are tied to the identity of an institution, and the district attorney's office is an institution which is a critical stakeholder in the long-term conversation of justice in our community, and when we talk about a broken criminal justice system, mass incarceration, cash bail, and we talk about the systemic injustice, uh, institutional biases, in order to make the kind of long-term gain that you want to make there, you kind of have to stay there to start chipping away at these uh, uh, foundations that have been laid down uh, for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's a long, hard work, but it's worth the fight. But we've got to have the courage to want to stay there. And to me, I consider myself the luckiest person in the state of Utah because I actually get to have the privilege, through the support of my community, to be in a job, to stay there, to kind of help channel in that change and that difference, and I have that opportunity, and I'm greatly appreciative of that.
0: Well, and I think that more than any place is a, is a direct representation of mm-hmm. when someone votes for you uh, year after year after year and, and says, I want this guy to be my district attorney, that's directly reflected in your specific work. Whereas, you know, a, a legislative body, I can say, look, I'm, I'm happy to have Ben McAdams represent me nationally yeah. or I'm happy to have Senator Maine represent me up on the Hill uh, here here in Utah. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're one piece. Like Senator Maine is is a member of a small body of a very small caucus in that body that really doesn't have any say. At the end of the day, the Democrats in the Senate don't really mean anything uh, they can throw a fit but they can't stop anything that the Republicans want to happen um, but but you have direct control over things you're you're not you're writing legislation but but you're
3: not this like you know un- unusable cog in a, in a giant machine we have uh, we have had uh more influence in the eight, last eight years on legislation than some of my colleagues who've been elected to that office. And I don't mean that in a disrespect way. No. I just mean it in the sense that, that uh, this office presents that opportunity if you, want to, uh, uh, if you want to invest the time that's necessary to make that kind of change. And it is an important office, right? To me, these inner, uh, you know, uh, as I was sharing with you before about my thesis, these ideas are all interconnected. Uh, the, you know, uh, social justice, political justice, economic justice, all of these ideas are interconnected. My institution plays an important role in it, and, and it also gives us an opportunity to sort of recognize what is right and what is wrong. And uh, while I appreciate your kind words, Chris, but here's, you know, uh, here's what I would say. I am not perfect. I make mistakes. I don't get things right. But I have a team that is committed to the long game, and that's what I keep wanting to emphasize. Sometimes we play politics in this country in the short game. And what's unique about it, like, I think, uh, and I've said this. For in my job and in Sheriff Rivera's job, is that we became politically involved as an adjunct to our profession, right? I was a public prosecutor before I became the elected DA. She was a cop and a, a patrol officer before she, after, uh, before she became an elected sheriff. So our jobs are tied directly to the political function of our institution, where other elected of, uh, officials are not necessarily tied in that same way. So that's why I make that qualitative distinction between the work that we do. Not that we do anything more important than they do, but I think it's important to recognize that qualitative difference. And that's why longevity serves a very different idea for us from an institutional perspective as it does for them in an elected office.
0: Well, and even in the state of Utah, I mean, that's a full-time job for you, for our elected officials. They're there. 6 weeks out of the year, just a couple more days, you know, just a couple more days. You know, with the exception of Thursday of, of, at midnight. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> they're not they're not there, you know, constantly all year round in this state. Now, that's well, different in other states. And they but.
2: have I mean, they can have their special interests. Like there can be, you know, a real estate agent who tends to lean toward that. If you lean toward your
3: special interest, you're just doing your job right right and uh, you know and, and we all, you know look every Friday I have uh, what are called citizens meetings right and every Friday any citizen can call and if you want to anybody out there wants to go on our website they uh, lead you through how to get there three eight five four six eight seven six zero zero Call Dina Stith and say hey I want to see my DA and, and she'll set up a time and but every Friday I meet with citizens and they get to challenge me and they get to tell me what we're doing right what we're doing wrong and I always tell them it's your right if you want to come and yell at me for half an hour 45 minutes it's your right and it's my privilege to listen and so we get direct feedback if if uh, if the, the legislature if the if the policymakers do not give me the money to prosecute my cases the, that still doesn't change my reality because that 911 call goes and I've still got to send prosecutors down there we still have to meet with victims we still have to go meet with victims families who've been uh, victims of horrible crime and they know what we're doing and what we're not doing. So for us, this is not an academic exercise. It is about as close to the existential reality of human agency as we can get, because that suffering is real, that pain is real, that emotion is real, and it's not an academic exercise for my victims, it's not an academic exercise for my prosecutors, and frankly, that keeps us honest in our task. And uh, And I wish there was that kind of accountability for other elected offices, because then they would sort of see that connection, uh, because I think there is a distancing that occurs and other political offices from the constituency that is crying out for a level of justice that they have become tone deaf to or are not listening or only listening to it in qualified ways, which serves their desire to retain that office. Right. Uh, Ben and I were talking about this, uh, you know, a couple of days ago. Everybody who runs for political office wants to have the privilege to get to the podium. And then I'm fascinated how they get to the podium and they don't use the podium, but they guard the podium, right? And and I find it fascinating because if you're fighting so hard to get to the podium, then get to the podium, own that space and talk about things because you've earned that right. Don't be shy about it and then say, well, I get to stand next to the podium, but I don't want to actually own or say anything while I'm at the podium, right? I find that deeply fascinating in America. In politics, you know. So uh, back on the hate crimes bill, yeah. I, I, I think just I
1: want to know how many people are like texting you high fives. <laughs> and, like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> we're getting it right now. We're, we're this getting it. Up. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, we are. I got Ben here. He's uh, he's actually uh, he's getting
1: all the high fives. Yeah, like.
3: yeah. Well, and, and and I know you talked about
0: the time was right this year, and I think one of the things, you know, it sucks that this had to happen, but I think one of the things that really pushed this legislation this year. Was what happened downtown that went viral? You know, the, Several the assault. Several things. You know, that that was a big part of it. And then the stuff that happened at Pride yes. uh, last year, I think, it was still fresh on the minds. But to have to have that attack downtown. Well,
1: even going further back to the gentleman that was beat by the guy with the tire iron <laughs> last year. Yeah, yeah, and
0: that's the one that yeah. this guy handed off to the federal yeah. prosecutors. Yeah. But but the, the to have something go viral in the middle of the legislative session and and for for your office to say yeah we can't prosecute this as a hate crime right. even though anyone even if you even if you are are you know offended by homosexuals for some reason or you have some yeah. intolerance there to see someone it's just it's just against humanity to see someone ask that question
3: and then throw a punch and know that they can't really be charged with much more than just basic assault. No, so let's talk about that. So you're right. So we had the Lopez issue. We had the uh, the uh, the the gay individuals who were assa- uh, attacked, which my office filed charges on. Uh, we're going back. There were several other cases that we didn't have. And you know, Robert Gurk, you know, uh, contacted me and said, "Hey, Sim, are you considering this for a hate crime?" And uh, and I and and I said, "Absolutely not." And he was like, and, "And he goes, what do you mean?" I go, "Well, first of all, it's a felony." So So I'm precluded. And two, even if it was a misdemeanor, I have a statute that's not applicable. And you're right. That that discussion went viral worldwide. BBC was covering it, yeah, uh, that- Washington Post was covering it, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post um, USA Today New York Times, uh, etc and it sparked a conversation that said in 2019 in the last three years in Dashley, hate crimes have gone up in 2019 in the state of Utah we do not have a workable hate crime statute and, and when, when you have as blatant of the kind of attacks that were now being caught on social media and it was being communicated in media as well people were asking intuitively this can't be right and so it allowed for a conversation to occur at a level which kind of shined the light of where we were not because we don't have a caring community but we just didn't have the political courage to actually step up and join the 21st century and say you know what in our society if you happen to be a historically marginalized community that's being targeted and, and you know and that's important to sort of communicate what hate crime is. Hate crime has three specific victims. The person that I've targeted and selected for no other reason than my perceived notion of the community or group that they belong to or an attribute that they possess to the community that they belong to. And it's that chill of terror that is sent to that community that they belong to is what was the crime that is unaccounted, right? So when the shooting in Pittsburgh occurs, the Jewish community in Salt Lake feels that terror. That is the chill of terror that I'm talking about. And uh, by us not to be able to identify, account for it, and proportionally punish it is when we tell the message we send to those communities is that you don't matter to us and we don't see you. And then that's the second victim And the third victim is all of us in twenty nineteen when we know intuitively that this is wrong and we cannot deliver a measure of justice. And these crimes happen in our community, to our neighbors, to our family members, to our friends. And and we see that as a moral failure and a legal failure. Then we also are the third victims in that as well. And and the timing You know, uh, who knows why it happened this way. I think it happened because a lot of people care. But thank God it's happening as we speak.
1: Well, even if you just go on Twitter tonight while they were up there talking about it and hearing people who are in our own legislature talking about their experiences, their cars being set on fire, um, people's like slurs being yelled at them. And so, I mean, those are. Those are our legislators, and it's happening to them.
3: So, as we were driving up here, my colleagues who are also there right now at the Hill, they were talking about. It. And I want to throw a shout out to a couple—you know, a couple of these senators who got up there and eloquently spoke. They—they they have changed their position. They uh, eloquently spoke about their experience, how being privileged as a white man, they didn't have to feel that uh, racial animosity or to feel that fear of hate, and the fact that they could empathize. And then, and then change their policy position to support this important piece of legislation tells me that there is hope for all of us here, right? In this that time, day and time when there's so much cynicism out there, I think that these are little victories that we need to look at and say that the glass is half full and, folks, we are not off the abyss. There is some integrity and honor and nobility in human agency. Let's celebrate that and focus on that because that's how we're going to move forward as a society
0: that's uh yeah i I mean it's fantastic and that that didn't
3: just pass by a little Oh, my. What was I? I haven't gotten the full Six, sixty-nine to four. You know, but this morning. <laughs> so, so no, let me tell you. This morning, you telling me in the kitchen. This, you thought uh, it was barely right. So this morning, we started with twenty-nine votes in favor, and we and my colleagues that we've been we, we have been votes. whipping it up and so forth. And let me throw another shout out because I I, sh- I want to share the thing. This mo- uh, yesterday, I reached out to Greg Hughes and I said, Greg, I need your help. I need you to bring the leadership on here. He asked me about it. We talked about it. And this morning, he delivered the leadership from the house in support of the hate crimes and that brought people so this morning we started with 29 votes in favor and if we're up in the 60s uh you know people have been working hard and a lot of people worked hard for this and this is a win for us collectively as a community that's awesome did I'm you amazing. say you needed 38 we needed 38 to uh to uh, to, to go pass, for, to house, pass. Yeah. yeah so uh, uh it, it, passed the senate right we just have a joint
0: if everyone wants to get a retweet so you can talk yeah. into the mic oh. you can if everyone liked to go retweet the Salt Lake County District Attorney Twitter account, that would be wonderful.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> my my Twitter's locked, so it's pointless for me to do it.
0: But but, but I mean that's it, that that's a, that's an amazing thing. And what I want to know is what four didn't vote for it. Yeah. And and of those four, and you get it's all public record, people. So go look if it's one of your look representatives them out. If it's one of your representatives, yeah. Ask I them know who why. The four are. Let's look at that <laughs> little well, picture. Look, I'm I, I I'm all for calling them out, but I also want to know. Why yeah. didn't you vote for it? What was it in the bill that was stopping you from voting for it? Because that's, that's more important than the vote is to understand why. And if it makes sense for their constituents, then it makes sense for their
3: constituents. I don't see how it possibly does. but right. Well, you know, the, there's the, you know, the, when, when I went and testified uh, both at the Senate and the uh, legislature uh, on the House side, there were, you know, the, the opposition was, well, you're creating special rights, uh, you know, isn't all crime, hate crime, uh, you know, et cetera. But, you know, and here's the point that I would make: If I come onto your house and I, I burn your lawn down, that's criminal mischief. That's a that's a crime. But if I come down and you're an African American family and I burn a cross on your lawn, that's a very specific message that's being sent out to it, all right? Uh, right? And, and that is not the same as the prior conduct of being merely a criminal mischief. And that the qualitative difference that, as I even mentioned, that, that everybody intuitively understands, that qualitative difference is what hate crime is all about, because it sends a chill to that family, it sends a chill to that community uh, that, that that family belongs to, if if it's a synagogue, whether it's a Muslim, you know, a mosque or whether you are Jewish or you're African-American or Latino, whatever, you know, if you are being targeted by virtue of your status because you're being selected because of who you are and it sends that chill of terror to that community, that is the crime. And people fail to recognize and give value to that element. And what's beautiful about this new legislation is it's not about thought crime. It's about actual conduct, which then I can enhance to, for the punishment phase of it if I also meet my burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt that this was done with that targeted population. So it, it protects everybody's right, but it also recognizes historically targeted communities and individuals which people know, this is not rocket science, folks. Everybody knows. And because we were having honest conversations with some of these legislators, at the, and, and that moment of having that honest conversation is the moment that took this vote in the favor. So there's hope, folks, but we gotta go. we got to talk to people. And it's still got to pass. So the Senate had already passed it, right? And it's yes. got to pass the joint one. Now, there, right? There's a joint resolution, and I think that needs to... That, and that joint resolution also, just let me tell you what the other... We also put an evidentiary rule in here, which says that your participation, because people are like, thought crime, this is thought crime. You're trying to punish thought crime. No, folks, we're not punish, uh, punishing thought crime. We're actually punishing specific conduct. So it's consistent with Wisconsin v. Mitchell, which the most conservative Supreme Court said is a constitutional way to approach, which is exactly what we're doing. So, you know, the the joint, the the evidentiary rule says your prior membership in the KKK or the neo-Nazi party I don't get to bring in as an evidential rule because you in, the in what's beautiful about America whether you like it or not, if you want to be a racist, if you want to be a bigot, if you want to be a misogynist, if you want to be a homophobe if you want to be xenophobic you get to do that in America right? You just don't get to act upon it and if you have a membership nobody cares that you have a membership in it unless it is elementally necessary or part of the criminal conduct which caused the assault or the criminal behavior, only then can I bring it in. So we even covered that base because this is not about thought crime, folks. It's about the crime that people are perpetrating through their conduct on a daily basis against communities and sending that chill of terror. And that should not, should not be acceptable in 2019 in the state of Utah or in this country or anywhere else. I'm really excited that it passed. Yes. I can tell Simmons too. I can you don't. tell I'm excited? Can you tell? My gosh, I'm going through this catharsis right now, and you know my 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 all my pores are all just fired up. So, and, so you know, now that you've gotten this, look, we're like good luck. You're here with us. Uh, yes, I came here, and I came here because you, hey, folks out there, Utah Podcast is the bomb. Okay, Woo! all right, this is the real deal, folks. You know, I I was not going to miss this, and so I've got my colleagues are uh, kibitzing with me and telling me. Information as well. they're sitting there, so uh, we're we're connected. We're so connected. Now, so now that you've got this passed,
0: assuming it's the joint resolution is going to pass, and I think it will because yeah. the the first bill passed the Senate yeah. pretty pretty easily. Um, so now that this is passed, are you going to move on to being like a judge?
3: No, I think that would be a great <laughs> no. Case. No, I'm not because <laughs> because because we've got we still have poverty. We still have uh, intergen. Uh, we have got intergenerational criminalization. We still criminalize mentally ill. We still. Criminalize the conduct of addicts. We still have mass incarceration in this state. We still have cash bail. We've got so many other things oh, that we bail. still we need to be addressing here. And we and 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 you know let, let me let me rephrase something. I, for many years I've talked about it and I said look man, this criminal justice system is broken. It's broken. And just recently I've started to change that. And I've said no, the criminal justice system isn't broken. Unfortunately, it's working really well for the process it was designed, which is to. Act actually manage the crisis in a way which is disproportionately being impacted against communities of color and poverty. So unfortunately, our criminal justice system is succeeding. And what we need to do is to stop this criminal justice system from succeeding in the misplaced uh, objectives that it has and to reorient it for a a notion of uh, justice that we all talk about as our ideals, but is not available to every citizen in this country. I know what
2: it is. He needs to run for U.S. district district.
3: He see he wants to take care of. No, our community we can't lose him. Can? No, no then. because
2: then he would set federal laws that would. This
3: is about our community. To totally. We're so <laughs> going back to what we started. I'm a Kerns boy back home. This he is about our community. This with- is about our community. You know. So
0: I, I do want to ask you about uh, Cash bail, because it's something yeah. I don't think we've ever talked about it on the show, and it is something that very disproportionately affects uh, uh, people in in poor communities yes. and people of color. Uh, if you look. At you know, you look at
3: bail amounts set, um, you
0: know, a two hundred thousand dollar bail for
3: hey, I've said bail for a million dollars, but but I was setting it against a murderer, right? Yeah, but that, and, and that's reasonable, uh, uh, yeah, against right? A murderer. Right, right, you know, so but but we're talking about bails that get set at
0: you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars for someone that was in possession of a controlled substance. I will
3: tell you, majority of the bail is between. $5,000 and 10000 and my point is that majority of the people who get that set against are people, uh, the largest, 97% of the people who get that bail set are often, uh, you know, people who don't have the means. So look, the idea of bail originally was that if you did a crime that I, you, we were trying to set bail because you were a risk to the community or we were going to assure your reappearance right? But what happened is, and it was supposed to be Justice is supposed to be blind. Well, listen, if you're a rich person who commits a horrific crime and you make bail, then you're on. They call that a flight risk on Law & Order SVU. Right. right. (laughs) And, 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 And so you're out. So we're not keeping the community safe anymore. But... But if you want to pay a bail bondsman and you pay ten percent, so if you got a five thousand dollar bail, you got a, p- a pony of five hundred dollars, ten percent, which you will not get back. Hmm. Just the privilege to walk out before you've been adjudicated guilty. So, so my point simply is this: Don't get me wrong. If you are a risk to our community, if you're a rapist, you're a murderer, you're a child abuser, etc., you're a genuine safety risk to the community. I'm going to set your bail because it's consistent and. Uh, with your risk to the community. And it should be set high. It should be high. But what I am going to start experimenting with, and uh, this is one of the things I want to do this year, uh, is that I'm going to actually experiment with this thing right here which is a smartphone because here's let me tell you why it's important we don't have enough jail beds we can keep building jail beds we don't have enough resources so we tax people and and people don't want to pay more taxes so we keep building bigger and bigger jails 40% of my jail beds right now at the county jail are being occupied by people (coughs) excuse me who have not been adjudicated guilty but who failed to appear and a warrant was issued for their arrest so here's some research that's been done which says that if I if you come to me and you've got a low level of fence. This is what we're going to try to experiment with. I want to do a, a, a pilot study. So if you're willing to give me your smartphone to be notified about your court date, and what the research shows is that people respond to text messages much more powerfully than anything else, mm-hmm. right So let's get props to marketing. And, and so it, the people, if they show up, I can reduce that 40 percent of the people who are sitting in jail uh, without their bail who would have otherwise failed to appear, but if I had used smart technology, and in that case, I don't need cash bail. I just need a, a more usable means by which to alert you to say, "Hey, Jane, you need to show up in court tomorrow because that's the court time you." set. Now, I want to experiment with that because, fine, if Jane really wants to not show up uh, two or three times, fine, then we'll deal with it. But if I can get 20%, 40% fifty percent that's of the a people, massive savings that's the a theory. massive saving to the, to the taxpayers and think about what it means to those individuals who are living paycheck to paycheck who have to come up with five hundred dollars. Well and that's yeah, oftentimes you know, yeah. why they don't show up to court yeah, because they're they're sitting at work. Yeah and they,
0: they it's a choice get between, right. it's a choice between being at work and keeping my job and paying for a place to live or going to court for yeah. this traffic <laughs> infraction that I forgot to pay my fine for. That's right. And if I don't go to court then I get a warrant And now I go
3: to jail. And now
0: I lose my job and I lose my house and I don't have $500 to get myself
3: And those people who fight against uh, bail reform, they say, well, no, you're going to be putting dangerous people. So let's take that obvious point and say, no, we're not talking about dangerous people. We're talking about 80 percent, 90 percent of the rest of humanity that uh, cycles in and out of our criminal justice system. Right. So, I mean, to, to give you a context. There are on, on the average, in the United States of America, more than 10 million people will cycle through our local jails. Okay, let that set in for a second. More than 10 million people will cycle through our local county jails. And if we're setting bails for those populations, not the ones that we want to send to prison, not the ones that we've adjudicated as guilty, not those who are the high-risk component, that is a mass of humanity who is living paycheck to paycheck. And if we really are talking about uh, reducing recidivism and rehabilitation, which is the premise of our criminal justice system, then let's not already put an anchor or a millstone around their neck and to drown them in our system, but let's ensure their success. Yes, if you did something wrong, you should be held accountable. Nobody's compromising on that. But here's a mechanism that we participate in which serves no useful purpose, but actually ends up causing the economic misery to already a disaffected population without any viable public policy reason behind it. Well, in the state and the community that the bail
0: comes from, doesn't benefit from it. Unless that person skips bell and we ultimately get whatever yeah, that amount right. is, the five hundred dollars doesn't come to us. It goes no. to a bell bond. That's right. That's and right. The, they get their five thousand dollars back right. from from the court. That's right. That's just right. so you
1: know, that's like Utah all, every single person in Utah going to jail three times. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that gives you kind of an idea. And yeah. it's no joke. Yeah. It's it's, it's a big deal. And I just we've never talked about it and, and it is something that really annoys me is is the bail system in general because I think Think it is, and it's not just Utah; it's a, it's across the country. It is across the country. It See, is. that's why you need to be U.S. District Attorney. Yeah, the, the, the. I, so, I want to talk to you about some some stuff that's that's maybe a little maybe a little different because we've started doing a segment on this show about infamous Utah, so yeah. famous Utah Utah criminals. Butch Cassidy. Uh, we did Ted Bundy. Bundy. We're, we're yeah. going to do some others. So once a month, we we choose uh, a not so great Utah and, and talk about them and talk yeah. about you know what happened yeah. in Utah. In regards to them, yeah. So I, I'm kind of curious because because you're you're currently the the Salt Lake County District Attorney, and back in the days of Ted Bundy, so. Utah got him, right? Yeah. We got the first conviction. We got him for kidnapping. Mm-hmm. But we knew, I mean, and I say knew kind of loosely because, because maybe there wasn't enough evidence, but we knew he had committed other mur- murders in the state, mm-hmm. not just the kidnapping he was convicted of. Why is it, do you think, and maybe you don't know, why is it that Utah
3: decided to extradite him to Colorado instead of trying to go after him for the murders in Utah? You know, I don't know the decision uh, actually behind it, you know, uh, but... Uh, what was fascinating about that case was that what Ted Bundy did is that he shattered our image of what we consider a serial murderer, yeah. <laughs> okay? Because prior to that, any notion uh, before we had was always, again, a stereotype notion, uh, you know, sort of central casting of what criminals look like. And here was a uh, a, a, a handsome young man, uh, well-educated, uh, uh, smart, very charming. Uh, you know, if you look at the Netflix... Uh, The show that's going on. He was, you know, cracking jokes. He was very amicable. He was very likable, and he really shattered that thing to talk about what it was. Uh, You know, I don't know the reason why they sent him to uh, Colorado, uh, but the the thing that sticks out in my mind was that uh, he was really the first serial killer who actually broke away from the mold to talk about uh, this is, you know, this is a a person next door, not somebody who's, you know, on the wrong side of towns, and you know, and who looks like that. You know, so it was fascinating in that sense. You know. Well, right.
1: to something more recent, you became DA right as the Josh Powell case was wrapping up in 2011, yes, correct? Yes. And you just took part in the cold case the podcast. cold podcast. Yeah. yeah, I I can't imagine coming into that was an easy situation because it was so. I hate using the word convoluted, but there yes. was not there was nothing. I mean, even though there was so much suspicion.
3: Yes. There's still no evidence. Yes, there was. You know, it was a. It was one of those cases that uh, that happened uh, in the administ- uh, administration prior to mine. So when we came in there, uh, you know, one of the things, and I think I talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I haven't listened to it, so I don't know what they used. But well, we certainly talked about it, in saying that I was amazed that the investigation had not been ever formally screened by the district attorney's office. There had been this. So I've actually subsequently changed that process when I became DA, uh, and in. Fact, In fact, I had talked to Buzz uh, Nelson, who was the West Valley uh, Chief at that time, and I said, uh, "I go, you know, this is what we've talked to, you know, the prosecutors, and they've said they can't do this and this and that and whatever." I said, "Listen, I need you to put it together into a formal screening, not talk to one attorney or whatever, and we need to do a formal screening. We're going to bring a team of prosecutors. I want all the evidence brought in, and we're going to sit down and go through this evidence, and we're going to do it in as a collective, collaborative approach, and that had not been done." And we were, uh, and the sad tragedy is that we were in the process of actually doing exactly that, and uh, when Josh Paul, you know, uh, murdered his uh, two children, and uh, it was it, it was a it, it it was a complex case. It was a complicated case, and you know, there's a lot of recriminations about you know they should have done this, they shouldn't have done that, etc., etc. Uh, what I can tell you, at least of my experience with some of the uh, investigators who were working there, they were fully invested. They really wanted to do the right thing, and we as prosecutors, remember, we didn't have a body, and we and we had not formally, formally screened that case as a collective body, and uh, you know, I was shocked that that had never happened, and uh, and so we've certainly changed our process as a result of that, and, uh, and uh, I know that those uh, individuals who worked on that investigations, uh, many of them still take that uh, with them, it has not left them, they were trying to find the truth, they were trying to to put together the best case they could and and they have been uh, impacted uh, in, in a very emotional way you know has it made it harder for them now that this podcast
1: has surfaced you know
3: and- you know I don't know you know you know I know that there was I haven't listened to all the interviews that were done with some of the principals there uh, but you know I know that uh, uh, certainly on some of the individual detectives who were and uh, from West Valley who were working on it uh, it was it was It was very emotionally devastating for them. It was, look, it was emotionally devastating for everybody in the community because, uh, you know, this... This family, the Josh you know and his family and his father and uh, steve and and the the children and the and the loss of life uh, of these two innocent children boys it just it was terrible it, i mean it just it, it still uh, you know uh, I remember I was on the freeway when I got the call on it, and uh, it, i mean I, I mean even as i 'm talking to you, I know exactly what part of the freeway I was at, I know exactly how dark it was when I got the call as the sun was going down, and I remember it was just it was terrible it 's never left me
0: so I have I have a question for you sure it's not really related to Salt Lake County but um, I've never I've never actually heard of this happening you know in, in my life and uh, it it just happened, so the BYU Police Department yeah. has been decertified by the state of Utah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, I mean that's a that's an incredibly unique and interesting situation. Yeah, and, and I'm curious what your thoughts on that are. I, I mean, I know it doesn't necessarily affect you in Salt Lake County. I, but I,
3: I mean, we can talk about it in terms of, you know, I think that's a great question, uh, and I think it's a great great question because there is uh, around the country, uh, whether right or wrong, certainly a sense of alienation that citizens uh, and communities feel from their institutions of law enforcement police and prosecution i put myself in that as well and i, I you know I'm, i it's not the, I, I don't they go uh, hand in hand yeah, they go hand in hand and uh, or glove in hand right <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, and so uh, so you know I think what was alarming about that is that you had uh, people who were in position of power who were sharing what is otherwise private information in ways that they probably shouldn't have. There was a lack of sort of accountability in a way that is not the professional standards when we think about surrendering that kind of authority to uh, uh, agents and uh, institutions. Uh, and, uh, and I think it showed a lot of courage by the legislature to, to take the actions that they did. Uh, I think that goes a long way. Ways to building those bridges to reestablish the trust of our uh, common community, um, our, our citizens should not feel alienated and distanced from the public institutions that are created to serve them. Is uh, is funded by their resources and are institutionally there as my bosses. Right? I always say this office does not belong to me. It belongs to the uh, the community of citizens that gave me the privilege to come here and be a temporary caretaker. And we've lost that sense of public service. We use the term public service, but we have lost that sense of what that means, and we need to recognize that our public institutions, I don't care what your title is, from an elected uh, official to the, whatever head you are of what public institution, all of these institutions belong to our citizens. They are our masters, they are our bosses, and we need to start holding ourselves accountable to them and opening ourselves up in a transparent way so they can see my office is not perfect. We make mistakes, and but our intentions are well-intentioned, and my goal is, warts and all, to share what we do with our community, uh, as imperfect as they may be, but that's the new chapter that we're delivering on, and I think that, I think that it showed a lot of courage uh, by the legislature to actually take on an institution and say, you know what, this is not acceptable, this is not appropriate, this is not the standard of professionalism that our community deserves, and they should be decertified.
0: So I got one more, one more uh, kind of different question for you. Of course. Uh, and it relates to the medical. Single marijuana. model scotches. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was the question. I've got, got, <laughs> <some laughs> got some upstairs. got some upstairs. No, I, I, it pertains to medical marijuana, yes. uh, to medical cannabis. Yes. So Utah's in a in a precarious sort of weird situation because yes. the legislature decided that they were going to gut Proposition two and make their own shitty law. Yeah.
1: He was a, a supporter. He told us on our last show. Right.
0: Yeah, Prop two. So, so my question to so you is: so po- we're doing a we're doing a post mortem now. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> my question to you is: basically, we're in a position now where it's going to be up to your office to prosecute a lot of those that. crimes. Yeah.
3: No, let's talk about that because uh, the first of all, thank you for raising that because two th- two points I want to make. First of all, let's talk about how I'm approaching this. The way I'm approaching this is that. The people spoke and they passed a law because they wanted medical cannabis in the state of Utah the legislature has come back and sort of, uh, you know, monkeyed around with it and they've done stuff with it. and But the core issue has not lost uh, on me The why, why the citizens voted. And what they've done is they put in uh, impediments and obstacles which actually does not allow you to deliver on what the uh, citizens voted for. So the way I'm approaching this is because I have to function within the parameters of the legal constructs as well as re- respect the spirit of the law. So the way I'm doing it is that until that... That mechanism of delivery occurs to, in the, at least under my jurisdiction in Salt Lake City, and if it comes to my office, I am not going to recriminalize um, uh, medical patients who have a legitimate basis to have access. So if they have, le- so I'm going to honor the spirit of the law by not criminalizing their behavior but I will enforce the law that I have to, which I have to do it, but the, the, I have discretion within the range of how do I do that. So if you happen to be a patient who has a letter that demonstrates that you have a pre-existing condition and I am going to, I can still prosecute you but I can prosecute in a way that does not necessarily end up with the criminalization of that behavior with a permanent record or other ways. So I'm going to, I've instructed my prosecutor to look at it on a case-by-case basis until the structure that is supposed to deliver on the law coincides with the promise that was made uh, to the citizens for that medical cannabis. So we're trying to really, very carefully balance that, and it's not easy. But I think it's our responsibility to do that because I'm going—I'm not going to violate the spirit of the law uh, uh, just because the uh, we put uh, structural impediments and ob- obstacles uh, in, in, in the way for people. Now that's my point on the enforcement, but I do want to go back to the first point which is which is burning all of us up which is Look, we got into this pe- first place because our legislature didn't listen to the citizens. So, as a result of a participatory democracy, they went out and petitioned and they got a proposition. Which is hard to Utah. do in the state of Utah, right? And then they voted to make that law. The legislature has rejected that because that's the way it's set up. So, do not be disheartened by this. Do not be depressed by this. The same energy with which you were energized to take this fight on now in the evolution of this process you need to throw those bums out who are not addressing that because that's the next part of this equation so I know that all those citizens out there who wanted to express their voice got out there and got involved do not let this obstacle now create a sense of apathy. Get angry, get involved, get engaged, and finish the conversation. Because in a representative government, if it is those representatives who fail to address this, exercise the next level of political power and start electing people who are going to be responsive to your needs as a constituency of citizens of this state. That's what we've been saying forever on this podcast. And we need to keep saying it, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because because I think we have to repeat that. There's a uh, old Hindu proverb or a saying that comes out of uh, the Bhagavad Gita that says, 10,000 explanations and a fool is no wiser. An intelligent person only needs 2,500. So, <laughs> so, 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 you know, I think we just have to keep repeating it because it has, it has to become part of our daily DNA of what it means to be an engaged, responsible citizen. And and, and you have tasted what victory feels like. And they're taking this victory away from you. So you know you have it within your power to actually do it. It's not an impossible task. Now just exercise that franchise and start electing people and holding them accountable for, to that. Uh, my question for you
1: is... <laughs> Are the people up on the Hill afraid to like make a phone call if they're so scared? All they have to do is call all the other states that have legalized this and be like, how are you
3: enforcing this? How are you making this work? Because it's obviously working in other states. So, so one of the fundamental flaws is by introducing our health department into the equation. Here's the fascinating thing. Since it's still a Schedule 1, a drug at the federal level and majority of the health departments at the county level all get majority majority of their funding through federal tax dollars right now, you're going to ask them to engage in a federal crime, which will cause and call into question their ability to actually retain those federal grants, which they are uh, obligated to get. So by creating this uh, uh, requirement of putting dispensaries with the health department connection, they have effectively said, we're not going to do it because in order to do it, you're going to risk. So if you're in Salt Lake County or Summit County as a health department, you're going to risk losing millions of dollars in. Federal grants because you're going to be also participating and actively engaging and violating a federal law, and which make, you can't get as a grantee. Make no mistake, that
0: was 100% on purpose. Well,
1: no, I know, answer, just other states that, are doing it. There has to be a the, way to make a call and be like, well, how can is, we make this work too? Utah oh, doesn't like to ask for input from elsewhere. <laughs>
0: the, the answer to your question is this, and it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance that we have in Utah and why you need to vote people out that, that have, have gone this route in one hand they have a phone that they could dial colorado but at the same time that phone is calling them and it's their bishop or some member of the church saying yeah we don't want this to happen we don't agree with this well he, and it's an unfortunate circumstance but it's absolutely so so that the
3: desire there. the 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 desire is to create a dabc model of dispensaries in Utah, which are naturally affiliated with the, uh, with state agency. The reason you have to make it into a private uh, dispensary rather than a state agency is then you break and sever the tie to the federal connection through the state, uh, to the pass through tax dollars that Mm -hmm. come down and flow to the state. So I understand the in the best, the desire why they're doing it because the model that uh, our legislature has is a model of the, uh, the liquor stores which are state run. so Which th- don't work either. Which, you know, which <laughs> I, I mean I know that that's kind of I a personal I, opinion I, but, they, I certainly, but they don't. Look what they just did I, with the 3.2 beer. I certainly, know, point. I certainly know that my single malt scotch costs a lot cheaper in other jurisdictions yes, than it yes. does here. Okay, And it's stronger. <laughs> <laughs> no, the scotch is, the scotch is always just Just <laughs> but but I think that's the seduction, right? So I think your point is right. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, this is not rocket science. There's other states that are doing it. We could have looked at those blueprints on how to do it and address that issue. Now, I think what's more fascinating is that there's been some recent discussion at the federal level to maybe declassify from Schedule One mm-hmm. uh, uh, marijuana. And if that happens, that will open up far more options, uh, not only in the way that we dispense and we talk about medical cannabis and whatnot. But more importantly, the reason that's important is that it will also liberalize research. Right. Uh, So so, research is the big thing. If we could
0: do research, honest research, we we can do research on opioids and then we can lie about them for generations and create an epidemic. (laughs) But we can't do research on marijuana because it's a schedule one.
3: That's right. Uh, I I remember reading an article about a, a female researcher. I think she was in New Mexico or Arizona, who was actually trying to do research on the medical application of cannabis to PTSD for war veterans. And she had to go, I think, to Israel to do her research. Actually, the irony of which is she was trying to do research for American war veterans, but she had to go to Israel to do the research because she really couldn't do it in the States. And that to me is uh, uh, asinine, you know. Yeah. Well, we got uh, one more
0: question for you, and I know you've already answered it, but yep. maybe six months has passed and your answer's changed. Okay. <laughs> so. I just wrote
1: it today, so I know what the answer is.
0: <laughs> so, so we ask everyone on the show, you live in Utah, you've planted roots here, you're participating uh, in the, the best ways possible in, in making these communities better. Um, so what's something that you would tell someone visiting the state of Utah that they had to do before they left? Let's
3: see if it changed. Ah, well, I don't know. I, well, I, I always go back to my mountains. I always go back to hiking. I talk about the natural resources that we have. There. And, uh, you, know, um, the, you know, the world comes to Utah to look at our mountains and to ski our mountains and the natural resources that we have. And I am amazed that Utahns ourselves, we don't take uh, advantage of <laughs> As much as we should, and uh, you know I would definitely tell people to come down and just we have so many trails, we have so much access, uh, the nature is there and and just to get out and look man, the air quality and you know we live in this bowl where we have worse air quality than Shanghai on our worst days here, uh, and uh, to be able to just walk into the mountains to be able to just free your mind a little bit and you know, people are just so happy when you were on the trail. You know, everybody smiles. They I've say, never met, uh, you know, I've, hiking been, uh, a trail, yeah, yeah. I've never met an right. upset person. Now, was that my answer last time? It, it's close, but. What, what, what did I say last time? Oh man, now Oh no, leave. you, say you-, you just said you you remembered.
1: <laughs> no, I did uh, post Perchard it. <laughs> I did
3: myself. Well, no. Okay. Well, you know, that, that that's it, you know. I mean, I mean our natural resources are incredible. I love I would tell them to definitely go uh, do that. You know, and of course, I think architecture. You got to go down to the temple and take a look at the temple. That's pretty cool. And I'm amazed how many people have never floated in a salt lake, you know? And because uh, it's because yeah, you know, it yeah, that's uh, good For here, the record, here.
1: that's our first float in the Great Salt Lake. <laughs> that's <laughs> <in> because- <laughs> 46 episodes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to hear I want to hear Ben's though because he's been sitting here and he's participated a little yeah. but
3: he's here so you're going so, yeah. to
0: I think the the best curry in I've ever had is it? Kathmandu on Highland Drive.
3: I will. T- I will take you on that, man. The Bombay House is not no, bad. No, but not. I will tell you. I can even <laughs> beat. I can beat that. You uh, know who has the best curry? Gura Spice House. Gura. Gura. No. India Palace. No, <laughs> my mom. Your <laughs> wife? My mom. My mom makes the best curry. We can go to her. Oh
2: my gosh, Chris <laughs> made a curry. <laughs> the my a curry my the sister other, makes
3: the best curry. Too. The, Chris <laughs> made a
2: curry the other day that I
3: think would have. Really? Right. Yeah, it was, it was, well, mine spicy was uh, It was a Thai and, curry though. Yeah. Oh, curry. it was just spicy. Milk, it was, oh. It was I just, just really I just good. posted uh, over the weekend, uh, had a chance to break uh, and I made uh, actually cow flour and chicken curry, but it's a, it was a drier curry and it was the bomb. It was well, fantastic. That's what you, so that's what you tell somebody. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to nice.
0: say. No. 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 So, <laughs> is wonderful. Uh and I think go out to the Soul Flats because they're just weird and they're wild and you're not going to see them anywhere else. True that. That's true. As long as you, yeah.
3: You know, I got, I got a, I had a story. So I was on a conference uh, uh, as a prosecutor and I was at the University of South Carolina. And they have a, uh, a place called, I think, Five Points where all these roads come together and they have great bars and restaurants. So one night while all of us prosecutors you know, were uh, having dinner and having a few drinks, the bartender back there was, uh, uh, had lost his vision. And his goal, uh, so his, his owner of the bar flew him out here because he wanted to drive a car, but he was blind. So they went she to the Salt the <laughs> <to> the <laughs> Flats, they rented a car yeah. so he could drive a car. <laughs> are as that's a blind so awesome. man, and I, you know, so it's funny that you talk about the salt flats, <laughs> you know, cool, so. Really cool. So Sim, I'd like to
0: give you a chance to um, give that number again, help people yeah, can get absolutely because I think it's
3: amazing that you offer that. So 385- 468-7600 ask for Dina Stith or you can, can go to the Salt Lake County website and uh, also go to the Salt Lake County DA's homepage and we have the instructions there on how to do that. Uh, every Friday we have what are called our city citizen's meeting, call Dina up and say, hey, I want to see Sim, I want to talk to him at our citizen meeting, and and that's how it gets started. Hey, I want Sim to make me curry, yeah, so I'm going to call him. Are you in that new
2: the new build- building cause, yes cuz cuz i have i love it except for i have one complaint when i drive yeah. through it the colors sometimes freak me out cuz i'm like oh, wow. what is going no, no, no. on like in my car like every once so, in a while i thought like am i getting pulled over cuz they hit just right or something
3: because they shine out onto the street on so, so so idea. that is that is my rainbow that floats across the <laughs> thing as the sun moves it's so across. It, 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 it truly <laughs> is beautiful but it. it's a little bit freaky when you're driving and, through and 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 so i'll also say that uh, i but some people have asked me about it, so I'll share actually for the first time publicly in a public way. If you look at it on the uh, the east side panel, you'll notice there are two white roses down on the bottom, which seem a little bit out of place. Does anybody here have any idea why I have those two white roses there? I have no I idea. do okay, so, But I'm going to look on my way home tomorrow. So you're going to see those two white roses. In the 1930s, when the Nazis were coming to power there was a group of people called the White Rose Society, which was a group of students who fought for truth and justice and actually uh, as students, activated themselves to fight that injustice when it came through there and that is, a, uh, that is a that is my sort of homage to the White Rose Society about everybody, this institution belongs to you and we're here to fight injustice and we're going to fight for our common folks and for our community and that that is there. That's I've never shared that. That's with really That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, so. I hear you have really great chili cook-offs in your office. We do. You, you're <laughs> friends with one of my friends. I uh, am. Stuart. And uh, and uh, yes, we do. We uh, we just recently did a chili cook-off. Our different people came in there, and it was fantastic. And we had a great time. And, and did you participate? Uh, you know, I, I, he said sent his, I he said his mom's a good uh, <laughs> No, but I will say I make a mean beanless chili, uh, and uh, and it is. It is, uh, it's made with actually red wine and uh, dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what you do is you take the dried chilies. I get about four or five kinds of different dried chilies. And like, why have uh, I dried and, <laughs> and I reconstitute them in beef broth and make a puree of it. And that becomes my base in which I cook the meat. So, oh, so awesome. yeah, it it's sense. fantastic. So. It really is. It really is. I, I make it on, uh, on uh, tailgate day. So if you, if you want some, Jessica, sure let me there. know. Uh, when I make it, I will call you and you come down and taste some of that yes. chili. A, or the next time you yeah. come visit yeah. us, beer and chili. There you go. There you go. <laughs> absolutely. We'll have to have him over in the summer. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I love it. Listen, I just want to say thank you to all of you. You guys are awesome. Oh. And, and I just want to say what you're doing is incredible these kind of conversations uh, in an extended way with our community of citizens is the basis of participatory democracy and this is where you get to just kind of talk this is how people talk all the time this is the conversation you're supposed to have so I absolutely consider myself very privileged and lucky that you guys are kind enough to invite me and just sort of let me talk about things that matter to me and share that with our community and you have an interest in that but thank you for the service that you provide and the conversation that you're having with our greater Utah you are always welcome yes. to, to come on the show. We've, we really enjoy talking with
2: Especially you. Especially now that we know that you know, you're know you a West Sider. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: Thank uh, you so K-town,
3: much. K-Town rules. That's right. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's going to do it for tonight's show. Uh, thanks again to Sim Gill. Uh And Ben. And, and ben. <laughs> ben said like like three words the whole podcast, and then all that it mattered was
1: about curries. That's all we needed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, to be to be clear, Ben was sitting here actively on his phone for ninety percent of that interview, following uh, the bill, following the bill, making sure updates happen, ready to send out uh, some statement. On the bill, uh, you know, because they, they were pretty sure they were going to be able to get it passed. Um, it's a lot of work. And you heard it here, sort of live, folks. Not, not sort of live. It was, was live recorded. when it was happening. Yes. And this will be up at 1 a.m. before most of the news networks actually have a story oh, published.
2: Breaking news.
0: So I'm just saying, if you <laughs> listen to this right when it's available for download. If you have
2: insomnia and you
0: download our podcast every single day, I the feel first one. I feel really sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it helps you go back to sleep. Uh-huh. Maybe it causes you to write fucking spam mail postcards. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you. From Alaska. <laughs> That's still mind-boggling. Like someone in Juno hand-wrote that postcard and sent it to us for some weird bullshit spam thing. Like I don't. It's awesome. I don't understand it, and there's no, there's no At least send me like it.
1: money or something.
0: Well, you can't send money on a postcard. You could tape it to it. I'm pretty sure it's not going to make it to you if you tape it. Uh, Put it in a
1: plastic bag and
0: tape it. Well, then they won't send it on postal postcard rates. It probably weighs too much to go on postal, postcard rates. Anyway, that's
1: neither here nor there. can tape a gift card.
0: To a postcard? Yeah. You think it'll work? You think it'll get there? I have my doubts.
1: I can try it. I have a beans and brew gift card at work. We can try.
0: What you need to do is go to the Lego store and get me a real gift card for the Lego store (laughs) and try and send it to me and let's see if it makes it. In July. Okay. Perfect. And if it doesn't make it, do I still get a birthday present? Yes. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I want a cake that has a soccer ball on it. You already had a cake like that. Yeah, but I don't want it to just be a soccer ball. I'm telling you, just okay, hear me on it. It needs to have a soccer ball on it. It needs to have a Magic: The Gathering card on it, front and back. You can choose the card because uh, I don't really know which one I would choose. Um, it needs to have like a like a twenty-sided die on it, preferably with the twenty being on top. Um, it needs to have uh, a couple of of miniatures, like geeky miniatures. Um, it needs to have uh, some sort of superhero. Uh, Christopher Michael. What? I'm just she about- has
1: paid gigs. Like you want me to make you into Batman or something? I
0: preferably Marvel. So. Okay. um It could even be like Captain Marvel. That would be cool. Marvel. Uh,
2: but you no, know, because no, you can't. And
0: Brie will pay you for the cake. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so she'll take care of it. I can charge you for your birthday? Yes, you could. You should. No, you don't if get you, this if cake. It's I, a, I, not if I would it's never. A gift. I would never ever expect you. You to don't make get me this cake this until
2: you're forty. I just decided.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm probably. Gonna and I know that that's after then. I turn forty. So.
0: I know. So she might even be done with it by then. Or, <laughs> or she might be famous and be done with us by then. <laughs> there's two distinct possibilities there and there's probably some other gray area stuff that I didn't come up with yet (laughs) so if you liked this show for some reason and you've stuck out the the ending of the show after the Sim Gill interview congratulations uh, you're probably insane Um, but please share the show because that's what helps us more than anything is. And it's okay if you just
1: listen to Sim and share it. Yeah. There was a comment on Provost Park Pass last week on their Patreon page that was like, don't tell them I just listened to your part of the show. (laughs) And I was like, it doesn't matter. You listen. That's That's great. That's what we did it for.
0: And we don't don't time mark them mostly because it takes more effort than I'm willing to put in for time marking. But if you just want to listen to the hour and 15 minutes we spent with Sim, that's your prerogative. Uh, I'm not going to stop you and I encourage it because that was a fantastic, fantastic conversation uh, and maybe someday somebody else might want to listen to and give us thing? a review May, yeah maybe yeah, give us a review let us know what you think you can reach us on twitter and, and instagram at tnu podcast the new utah podcast on facebook and thenewutah.com is probably one of the best websites you'll ever go to if you're bored and want to find something to do in utah or if someone's coming to the state and you want to tell them somewhere to go that's the place to go uh, we get a lot of people from from out of state looking at our website uh for things to do so uh i think that's it um you know hopefully uh Hopefully this legislative session rounds itself out. Uh, Next week we will be doing—is it next week? Our infamous Utah. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll be doing our infamous. I know it's out of order, but it is out of order. It's really throwing me for a loop. But I think we'll do it. Don't be angry. Uh, You guys will like it. It'll be good. Um, Hopefully, and if they're not good, let us know that too. If you guys hate the segment, Um, but I think it's a fun show for us, and uh, that's it. Enjoy the snowstorm coming.